It's great to have you guys here. Thanks for being here. It's great to have our, our brothers and sisters online. Uh, we've been kind of talking about a story. The, the big arc is our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And we've been talking about the story about Moses and the Israelites and God wanted them to take them to a land of blessing and it's called the promised land. And they didn't believe him because what they saw over there, the spies were sent out and Moses takes them to the border and they don't really want to go in there. They don't believe God. So if you turn your Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter one, I'm going to recap a little bit just to catch some of you guys up who weren't here the last several weeks. God says in Deuteronomy one, I want to take you and I want you to go into that hill country and I want you to kick out the Amorites. Now, the Amorites is like a meta category for a people group that's already living in the land of Canaan. That land was promised to Abraham and his descendants. He said, don't be afraid. So they say, okay, let's send some spies. The spies go in there and they bring back what Lewis is holding in his hand. Lewis can lift that up. They bring back a great yes. cluster. Now, that you can get at Vons and, and, and Lewis can, can bring it back by himself with no trouble. But the description we get in the Bible, that the one grape cluster was so big, two soldiers had to carry it. That's how big it was. Because the people living in that land, lived in a land of milk and honey richness, and they were actually giants who lived there. When I say giants, I'm talking nine foot six, military prowess, violent men of war. That's who the Amorites were. So in verse 28, of Deuteronomy 1, he's kind of re Moses is retelling the story of what just happened in Numbers, and he's talking to the sons and daughters whose parents were unfaithful and didn't want to go in the promised land. So he's talking to the next generation. He's talking to the the former teen class, the former preteen class. They've grown up, and he says, "Listen, I'm going to tell you the story of what happened. Your parents said." Where can we go? The spies were sent out. Our brothers have made our hearts full of fear and melt in fear. And they said the people are stronger and taller than we are. And their cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakim there, the Anakites, the sons of Anak. Now, they get to this land and they find the Amorites there and they're connected to a people group that are huge and they're living in these huge cities and these cities they describe them that reach up to the sky it's a hyperlink back to the tower of babel if you remember that story and so moses is kind of retelling what happened in numbers 13 that was two lessons ago that we went over that and they said they saw these three guys ahima shishai and talmai these three giants were there and they were the descendants of anak now, in Numbers 13, the narrator writes this. They saw the Nephilim there. Dear reader, the, the, the writer's writing this. Dear reader, the huge giants who are the sons of Anak are from the Nephilim. They're descendants. The, the Nephilim you'll find in Genesis chapter 6. They're a spiritual being, hybrid warrior. They were called the men of renown who unleash violence. Mm -hmm. In the land of Canaan. And this is really significant because you have to understand that Yahweh is what he's asking Israel to do is to go there and strike them down. 
It's the same word that God uses strike when he brings the flood. He strikes the earth with the flood. God does that. Now he's asking the Israelites, the human army of God, and says, go and strike down the Amorites and all the descendants of the Nephilim. That's an important part. Because what you're about to read is extremely graphic and brutal. And the passages that we're going to look, look at this morning, people have turned their hearts from God because they read that and they told themselves, how can a God do that to humans? And it turned and it still turns people away and it's gut-wrenching. But if you don't understand what's happening and you just read through the Bible like that, you don't know what's going on. It does appear that God's, uh, you know, it's a little bloodlust. I remember reading this passage as a young Christian and my brother-in-law saying, God loves genocide. And I'm like, I didn't have a defense for it. I was like, I didn't even know my Bible that well. So I was like, I, I, but I knew this. I knew God was good. And I held on to it. I was a young disciple, a young person. I go, you know what? I may not understand that story, but I want to hold on to that God is good and he's up to something good. And I always had that position. Now, as I got older, I started to look into these texts and see what's really there and to see what's really going on. Now I'm going to share with you why there is this bloodshed that's so violent in the scriptures. And I hope it helps you educate others when they read that passage and say, oh, God loves bloodlust. He's a violent God. I'm going to explain to you what, why God is doing this, why he's striking down the Amorites. In Genesis chapters 1 through 11, there are two rulers in God's creation. Rulers above, that's the Elohim, the spiritual beings, and they have their place. And then there are rulers below, that's humans. We're, we're tasked to rule the earth and, and, and uh, be the image of God, reflect God's character to the earth and subdue the earth. You know, farming, livestock. Live life, subdue, be good people, be the, be the Garden of Eden. And so we have this task. But in the Garden of Eden originally, there was this spiritual being that the writer calls a snake. We know that to be the original rebel who destroys God's, or tries to destroy God's plan that he made humans. For some reason or another, he did not like the fact that humans were made. So he deduces that if they sin, God will destroy them and will be done with this human thing that God was doing. But God goes, I'm not going to destroy them. I'm going to redeem them. And so now there's this war of lineage. And in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, I'll read it to you. God tells the snake, I'm going to put enmity, enmity between you, the snake and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. And as you read Genesis one through 11, you begin to see the lineage of the snake, Cain and Abel. Abel, produces a, a godly line and Cain, he kills his brother. From Cain, he partnered with the snake. He believed the lie that death gives life. Look at me now in Genesis chapter six. There are two creations, rulers in the heavens and rulers in the earth. They're not just humans that rule the earth, but there's a spiritual place that God made spiritual beings to run the cosmos. To rule in the heavens, just like we rule on the earth. When the human beings began to increase in number on the earth, the daughters were born to them. 
the sons of God, the sons of Elohim, saw that the daughters of human were beautiful. If you take that sons of Elohim phrase and you, and you, and you do a little uh, Hebrew search of where it actually shows up, it shows up only to spiritual beings. This is not a human line of sons of God. It only shows up in Psalm 82 and Psalm 86 and other Psalm, Job 38. The sons of God are the spiritual sons of God in heaven. That's where they rule and we rule on earth. They married. That's a very kind word. When I looked up the Hebrew, is that the Hebrew word is they took, they seized, they draft, they fetched, they removed, they took away. They grabbed women. Any of them they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Two things there. The lifespan of humanity will be 120, and the clock starts of decreation of the flood. The clock starts to tick. Because in verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. So the writer is writing after the fact. He says, they're here now, but we're going to see them a little bit later in the storyline. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Hebrew word is Gaborim, Gibberim, violent warrior men who gained reputation through military prowess. And then look what happens in verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil at that time. So you have these sons of Elohim, the sons of God, they'd come out and descend and take women, having an illicit joining of the sky rulers and the human rulers for a devious purpose. They produce a bloodline, an unclean mixture, bloodline, human, divine, Elohim, offspring. A hybrid of supernatural and human. And thus the Nephilim are born and they are giants. To give you an idea, Goliath was measured at nine foot six inches. And they weren't skinny. They weren't flackle. These guys carried 120 pound spears. Heavy armor. Right? Big boys. And these Nephilim, they became the kings of empires. Of the Amorites of the Hittites, of the Canaanites, and they're mutants. And the Bible describes them as agents of chaos, anti-Eden, where death is life. And it's all connected to the explosion of evil and the seed of the snake. That human violence and evil spiraling out of control when you read Genesis 1 through 11. That sets the whole Bible's theme forward. It's the rebellion of the supernatural into the human world. So just to track this, Genesis has the snake, the spiritual being, we now call the devil. It produces Cain. He kills his brother. It produces Lamech. I murdered a man when I was angry. It produced Nimrod. He built the, the city of Babylon to the sky where the Tower of Babel would be. And Moses is kind of replaying the story for the Israelites, reminding the second generation of what you're about to do. But God is asking you to do. You have to understand who these people are. And the Amorites, 
the Anakites, the Canaanites, or all in the land, and they all represent the seed of rebellion. If you ever wonder why there's evil in the world, it's because there's been spiritual rebellion in the book of Genesis 1 through 11. That's why there's so much evil in our world. That's why things sometimes are unexplainable in our world, but it's really just evil. These, these nations have polluted the land with blood of the innocents. Every inclination in a man's heart was evil. And if you ever read the story of Gilgamesh, the Mesopotamian writer, same as the Hebrew writers, they're writing about the same events. Gilgamesh was a divine being and human. He was a quasi. He was a hybrid. And people always say, oh, we copied the Bible from the Epic of Gilgamesh. No, we didn't. They're both telling the same story about the same events. They have their version, and the Jewish Israelites have their version. And it's a, it's a polemic. It's an argument against those, those guys were evil. They were violent. They killed innocent blood. They're from the line of Cain, the line of the serpent, the line of rebellion. That's why it's in there. And one time, God told Abraham, when he was in the land of Canaan, he's like, four generations from now, in Genesis 4, 15, in four generations, your grandkids are going to come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Your kids, your grandkids are going to come back here and we're going to deal with the Amorites. And last week I told you about these two giant kings, Sohon and Og. What a cool name for a giant, Og. My name is Og. Maybe he only can say one syllable. I don't know. But it was Og. That was his name. And they lived on the east side of the promised land. So you have a river. And then you have the promised land. And there's the ocean. And then you have the east side called the Transjordan. And God goes. And so Moses is telling the story how we went from the east side up. And they're going to enter the promised land. But God has them go that way for a reason. Because there are giants there. So God goes, I need you to first, before you enter, you got to go to the backside and you got you to confront Zahan and Og. So in verse 43, Moses reminds him in Deuteronomy 1, verse 43, Deuteronomy chapter 1, if you go back there, hyperlink back there, he reminds him that their parents said no. And then God says, well, you're going to wander the desert for 40 years because that's what you said you'd rather do than go to the promised land. So God goes, okay, I'm going to give you your wish. You're going to wander for 40 years and die in the desert. Because that's what they wanted. God respects decisions of the humans, right? And so they get mad. And they start crying. And they go, now we'll go, God. Now we'll go. And they, and they go invade the Amorites in verse 43. And the Amorites beat them back down. And they cry. And they have to go wander for 40 years. <laughs> in Deuteronomy chapter 2, in verse 10. Moses is retelling the story, what happened on the east side, what happened in the book of Numbers. He's just retelling the story, but he's giving us more details. In verse 10, it says the Emites used to live there. Well, who are the Emites? I thought they were the Anakites. Well, they were a people strong and numerous and as tall as the Anakites. You know, we have the Camarillo people, the Oxnardians, the Thousand Oaks folks. You know, they give them different names. So the Israelites in that area go, well, they're not called the Anakites here. We call those guys the Emites. They're as tall as the Anakites, but we call them the Emites. And like the Anakites, 
they too were considered Rephaites. That's a very important word because the word Rephaite means giants, and it also means the dead spirits of the giants. Remember that. That's important. But the Moabites called them the Emites. That's fine. The Horites used to live there in Seir, but the descendants of Esau drove them out. Now, if you remember Esau, that's Jacob's brother, right? Remember Jacob stole the blessing from Esau? So Esau was a, he was a bad boy. He was a warrior. So he took his people down there and he saw the giants there and he kicked them out. Get out of here. And he booted them. So, so God says, hey, look, I want you to go up the Transjordan. Esau already dealt and pushed out the giants, killed some, and he pushed them out north. They destroyed the Horites before them and they settled in their place just as Israel did in the land the Lord had given them as our possession. Look at verse 20. That too was considered a land of the Rephaites who used to live there. Because there's Moab and there's Ammon. There's two, there's two areas they're, they're going through. And there are these giants that are there. But the Moabites called them Zazumites. Wow, what a name. They were strong and they were numerous. As tall as the Anakites. They were giants, and they got pushed out, and they got pushed up north to Og and Sihon. They got killed. They got Some got killed, but not all of them got killed, so they pushed up. You notice the word, they destroyed, that means they won the battle. The Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites. If you know your Bible, those are the sons of Lot, Ammon and Moab, who drove them out, and they settled in their place. The Lord had done the same for the descendants of Esau who lived in Seir when he destroyed the Horites before them. They drove them out, meaning not all of them were dead. They drove them away and had lived in their place to this day. And as the Abites who lived in the villages as far as Gaza, the Kaphorites coming out of Kaphtor destroyed them and settled in their place. Those become the Philistines later. In verse 32, when Sihon, the giant, and all his army came out to meet us in battle. So they're going through Ammon, and they're going through Moab, and they're going to the northern part of the Transjordan, and there they are confronted by Sihon. And all his army came out to meet us in battle at Jahaz. And the Lord our God delivered him over to us, and we struck them down. These men were violent. They believed death was life, the lineage of the snake. That area was called Bashan. Bashan in Canaanite, Akkadian language was called serpent. They were clearly descendants of divine rebellion who became kings of empires. And if you go into History Channel, all the Amorites and the Hittites, they all have giants in their literature. They were the kings of old. And look of the description of what happens to the kings of the rebellion of these hybrid supernatural human beings. The Lord our God delivered them into our hands and we struck them down together with his sons and his old whole army. At the time we took all his towns and now you have the word completely destroyed. That Hebrew word is called Naharim. Naharim. That means they killed everything. They didn't just push them out. 
They killed everything that was human. There was a bloodline that was illicit. And here's what that meant. Men, women, children, we left no survivors. That right there has turned people away from the Bible. But if they understood what was going on and how it shows up in the New Testament and how it shows up today, you would understand. The livestock they took in 36, they, they went from town as far as Gilead. But look in verse 37. They only targeted the giants. In accordance with the command of, the, of God, they did not encroach on any of the land of the Ammonites. Neither the land along the course of the Jabbok River, nor around the towns and the hills. They only completely destroyed the giant clans. And there's two occasions. One was Sihon and the other was Og. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 3. Because when a people group, when a society is built on a lie, that evil is good because of a spiritual rebellion. It's evil incarnate. And God deals with the giants. They are the lethal enemy of Israel. What did, the, what did Goliath say when he confronted Israel's army? I defy the armies of the living God. Bring one man out and we'll fight battle. I'll defy God. And God goes, you're going to defy my God? Remember that story? That's the giant clan. So in Deuteronomy 3, next we turn up and went to the road toward Bashan, serpent, and Og, king of Bashan, with his whole army marched out to meet us in battle at Idrei. And the Lord said to me, don't be afraid of him. I've delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to king of, of the Amorites, what you did to king Sahan who reigned in Heshbon. So the Lord our God also came into our hands, Og, king of Bashan, and all his army, and we struck them down. Again, there's that word, leaving no survivors. We completely, Naharim, destroyed them. That word is only used when Israel fought the giants. It is not used when they fought regular folks who were in the land of Canaan. It was just the giant clans. Because it was an illicit mixture. It was an unclean blending of the spiritual world and the human world. And so they took his cities and they killed the men, the women, and children. And when you read that, it makes your stomach go, Ugh! and it's supposed to. You're supposed to meditate on the stuff. You can have your feelings about this. They're fine. But when I read that, I'm like, oh, it's a little bit of part of me. It's like, Ugh! But it's what the text gives us. And hopefully when I when I come when I land this plane here, you'll see why God does what he does. So these Rephaites, these giants, when they die, the Bible describes the Rephaites as the spirits of the dead, unclean, impure. And the Israelites knew this. And the Israelites called those spirits unclean spirits because they were half 
came from a divine rebellion of half human and from a spiritual being. So they roamed the earth. And the Israelites knew that these demons had knowledge. They knew things. They weren't like human spirits. When you die, you might see a ghost. They know nothing. But these divine spirits, these reptiles, they know stuff. Because they're from above and below. And they're an unclean mixture. Look at me in Luke chapter 8. Here's where they show up. They show up in your New Testament. They show up when Jesus is in his ministry. And he takes a boat. And he goes across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus visits a graveyard. And in that graveyard is a maniac. An absolute maniac. He is so strong. They put, not just like our handcuffs, you know, our police handcuffs. No, in the, in the ancient Near East, the Roman times, those were gigantic cuffs. He would break those. He would snap them. He would take them off. Nothing could chain this man down. So Jesus goes and confronts the man. He's not confronting the human. When, I, when, when we read this passage, he's not confronting the human. He's confronting the the Rephites, the spirit of the dead. Because the Jews believe that the spirits of the dead Nephilim roamed the earth, and the Jews would call them the demons. And that's where the word demon comes from. The dead spirits of the giants. They're not fallen angels, right? They're the result of an unclean mixture. That's why when you read, When Jesus has come out of him, you unclean spirit, he's referring to the mixture of spiritual and human rebellion. Let's read the text. Verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, he had not worn clothes or lived in a house and had to live in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, He cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his lungs. What do you want from me? And look what they say to Jesus. Son of the most high God. They know things. These spirits know things. And they know who Jesus is. And they say, I I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirits to come out of the man. When Luke's writing this, he well knows about the Nephilim, the Rephites, the Rephaim, the Anakites, the Emites, the Zuzumites. He knows that the disembodied spirits are roaming. They're called demons. And he knows that. The mixture. He says, come out of that man. Many times he had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot, and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. When Jesus asked him, what is your name? Look at the response of the spirits inside the man. He says, my name is Legion. That is a military term. These are men of renown. Gibberim, men of violent war. And they respond to Jesus. That my name is Legion. 
because many demons had gone into him. And this next phrase should scare you. It scared me when I read it. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. For your homework, read Revelations chapter 9. For your homework, read that. This is not a mental health issue. This man was not struggling with mental health. People are saying that the Bible, well, they couldn't describe depression. Depression isn't going to a herd of pigs and drown themselves, because that's what happens. The spirits left the man and went to a herd of pigs, and the pigs purposely went down the hill, and they drowned themselves. They don't do that. This was not a mental health crisis man was going through. These were real. And this is in the New Testament. If you look in your Bibles in 2 Peter chapter 2, it will explain what God is doing here. Peter is writing this. The abyss. You know, they don't want to get sent to the abyss. For God did not spare, 2 Peter 2 verse 4, for God did not spare even angels who sinned. He threw them, and your Bible probably has the word hell, but if you look on the little, the little like letter right next to hell, it, it's a different word in the Greek, original Greek. It's Tartarus. Tartarus was the Roman Greek mythology where Zeus sent the rebellious titans. It was a gloomy dungeon of darkness. And they were held there until the day of judgment. So these angels who sinned, when did angels sin? Look at the next verse. In the days of Noah. Oh, in the days of Noah, that's Genesis chapter 6. Oh, yeah, the sons of Elohim. Where are they? In a gloomy dungeon. Where they ought to be. Until you read Revelations 9. Because when judgment day comes, they'll be released for a time. To harass humanity once again. What does all this mean for us? Now we get an idea of why these giant clans were so brutally treated. What happens to their spirits? They're still roaming the earth. Demons are still here. Paul even writes, don't go and, and don't go to a place where they're worshiping idol, eat the food, because you might be worshiping a demon. Be careful. Remember that? Be careful. Don't just go and eat food sacrificed to idols. You might be worshiping a demon and you not know it. We live, in a, we live in a society where the line of the serpent is real. We live in a culture today where men want to be women and women want to be men. And everyone's cool with that. Yeah. Because when a society begins to believe the lie, we become like the people in the land of Canaan. That's the job of the church is to, mm. is to be the people that brings Eden to others. Wow. It's a powerful lie, believe me. It's awkward in conversation sometimes. We're not against, we don't hate them. Mm -hmm. We don't hate people like that. We're not to hate them. Right. We're to show them Eden. Show them what it could be like. But that's our culture. If you wonder what, where evil comes from, 
The Bible gives us where it comes from. The Mesopotamian had their literature. No, this is awesome. It was great. These men are awesome. No, they weren't. They were violent men. They would burn their babies to gods. That was normal. Death is life. Look with me in, in Romans chapter 8. Look at Paul's language here. What, what does it mean for us, the church? What does that story do for us? In Romans chapter 8, verse 13, look at what Paul writes. Paul knows his Old Testament. And he's talking to the disciples. So, for if you live according to the flesh, the line of Cain, the lie of the serpents, you will die. Mm -hmm. But if you live, but if you, if you by the Spirit, put to death. Look at that word, death. It's like the New Testament, Naharim. Put to death the deeds of the body, and you'll live. In other words, don't believe the lie. Don't give yourself over to the lie. Look at me in Colossians chapter 3. He says it even more pointedly here. He describes it more specifically. Why is Paul saying these things? What Paul is trying to communicate to the church is sin kills. It's deadly. Mm -hmm. The line of the serpent will kill you. It will destroy you. It will erode your heart for God. I mean, Jesus says the same thing when he, when he, when he healed the paralytic. He says, sin no more. When he, when, he, when he saved the adulterers, he says, stop sinning. Because Jesus is trying to tell us, sin will kill you. It'll destroy your life. It'll destroy your love for God. And you'll start believing the lie and the offspring of the serpent. The lie is that you're more important than anything in the world. No, we're not. We're just God's people. Colossians, Colossians 5, I'm sorry, 3 verse 5. Look at the language. Put to death. It's the same language in the Old Testament. Go into Canaan. And put to death the Amorites, the Anakites, the Canaanites, every one of those giant clans. Put them to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, you know, our children are growing up in a culture where it is promoted and promoted as absolutely normal. And in fact, if you think otherwise, you're weird. Nope, you're actually not weird. It's a lie. It always has been a lie. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. He goes, it's idolatry. In other words, anyone can be a snakeling by the decisions you make. Paul says, put that to death. It's our choices. It's our decisions. So we are to be the church, a blessing to others. We are to be eaten for others, heaven to others. That's the kingdom. Our job here right now, it's awesome to be here. 
I guarantee you will probably not sin here. <laughs> right? You leave here, you're the church. You get in your car with your family, you're the church. You stop at In-N-Out Burger, you're the church there. You meet people on the street, you're the church. Don't ever say you don't have a visitor at church. Don't you ever tell me that. Because you run into visitors all day, every day, all day long. They're the people you see, the other humans that are out there. In fact, there are, there are visitors there. Poor guys playing tennis. Right? There are guests. They're going to see us. Right? We're the church. You're the church when you're in traffic. Man, I want to turn into an Amorite so badly. Right? There are, there are moments in my life where I want to be a Canaanite. But it's a lie. It's a lie. Mm. When you start believing the lie. So we're the people of God. We're a blessing. So my charge to you is when you leave here today, be a blessing to others. When they, when they, when they, when they repeat your name, they're going, oh, man, they are a blessing. You should be known as a blessing. My friend, let me read his text. One time at James football game of another friend that said, hey, the Garces brothers are here. Gio's here. Oh, that Gio, man. He's hilarious. I love that bleeping, bleeping, bleeping guy. Oh, he's a pagan, of course. That's why he talks. And I was like, how encouraging. That's such an encouraging thing. Like, all right, I'm like around here. Let's go. Let's go. You know, it's encouraging. People notice. People notice how you behave. Right here at church, you're like, Everything's looking good. Bible's open. Praise. Hallelujah. When you leave, don't become an Amorite. Don't become a Canaanite. Don't become men of renown for yourself, Gaborim. Become the people of God. Let's show the world what Eden looks like. And we can do that by loving each other. Have you had a Christian over your house lately? For dinner? If you have one over, be a blessing. I love when I get invited over to your guys' house. Some of you guys invited me over, and man, it is awesome. It is amazing. Food's incredible. When I get invited, I'm like, oh, who's cooking? <laughs> I love it. And when I invite people over, I want to give them something good, right? Ain't that right? Yeah. Give them something good. I don't have a smoker like John Spencer, but she go, she go, she go to his house. That guy can cook. We should, be, we should be doing that with each other, strengthening each other, encouraging each other, so we can do it to the people around us. Let's pray for our community. Well, God, I hope that story was accurate, God, and you were pleased with it because it is, it is one of the hardest passages in the Bible. And God, I pray and hope that we understand what you were doing. We understand that demons are among us now because of the rebellion. We understand that because we see demons. We see the demonic work of their, what they're doing in our society. Our culture, God, is, is changing for the worse. It's not getting better. But God, help us to make a difference in our world. We know you love humanity. We know you gave us a mission to go and make disciples. Help us to love others into the kingdom. Thank you for Jesus who made this possible, who died on the cross and rose on the third day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.